You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. Today, we welcome back to the studio, Paul Doroshenko. Glad to be back here in the studio. Just took a selfie to put on Instagram when we're done. Good. Excellent. I approve of the selfie taking. Well, if I put things on Instagram that don't have a picture of me, I don't get as many likes. If I put a picture of me, it looks like more people seem to like it, which I mean... It's weird. Yeah, because I think I'm, you know, who would want to like looking at me? A. Um, And the other thing is some of the other pictures I put up are quite interesting. I put up a picture of some bear feces filled with uh, blueberry seeds, and I expected to get some likes. Yeah, I don't think that people like looking at pictures of shit. They couldn't, they didn't see the steam that was coming off of it. Well, I don't take a picture of that turd that's been in my parkade for four days now. That's true, but it is different when it's a bear and you're up on a mountain, and uh, basically every 20 feet I went down any trail, there was fresh uh, bear scat. So I was safe in my car. But I saw a video when I was up, uh, high up in the mountains, I was, you know, still had reasonable cell phone service. So I was on the internets and I saw a video of, a of a black bear opening somebody's car door, uh, that was captured by a, like a home video system. And the bear just looked like it knew exactly how to open that car door. Yeah. Um, we always felt safe in the car. And now I'm thinking like, maybe you're safer in those cars where you had to like push the button with your thumb in order mm-hmm. to open it. Yeah. Cause bears don't have opposable thumbs. So, uh, car manufacturers take note, uh, try and design your vehicles so bears can't get in them. <laughs> that is probably at the bottom of a car manufacturer's like list of requirements. Bear proof doors. Well, bear proof doors might also be drunk proof doors. Right now, it's really easy if you're drunk, probably to yank on one of those handles and get in. Well, I think some cars you just like get in with a fingerprint these days. I have no idea. Well, maybe with a Tesla or something like that. But I just remember like MGBs and things like that, where you had to push a, a button with your thumb. I couldn't get in if I had three drinks. Speaking of Teslas, I saw a Tesla today when I was here in Richmond for traffic court, parked at our Richmond office, which shares parking with the food bank. And it's Thursday, which is like extra food bank day. It's afternoon or evening food bank day. Wednesday is morning food bank day. Yeah. Well, there was a woman who pulled up in a brand new, beautiful Tesla. Went to the food bank. Parked at a food bank spot and went in. And I can only assume she must have been dropping off a donation. Did you see her carrying a donation? I saw her carrying an envelope. Well, then maybe she was. Did you see her coming back with anything? No, because I left. We've given money. Acumen Law Corporation has given money to that food bank a few times. Yeah. I mean, I know you're I not mean, supposed to be judgmental, we, yeah, but, but a brand new Tesla is I a know, lot of but money. But we've also seen brand new BMWs and all sorts of people there who were carrying food back to their car. And I'm not knocking the food bank because there's a lot of people I see there who it's clear that they have the need. It's unfortunate that some people show up there who seem to be making a mockery of the system. In any event, the rest of us in the world are out there working and uh, working to do things like pay our car insurance and pay for our vehicles and Mm -hmm. pay to be able to travel around with our kids. Jody from our office today told me that she got screwed under the new rates. Oh, 
$300 more than last year. Well, see, Perfect I, haven't, driving record. I haven't gone to renew. I have to do it before September 4th. I've got no excuse. I got a phone call from my insurance company. It's all going to happen. Yeah, I and know. I have to list, like, I have to list a bunch of people as other drivers. You Certainly you. Me. I have to list you. You drive my car. You car for a week and a half. Yeah, you drive my car for more than 10 days a year. Yep. Yeah, certainly my spouse, maybe other people in the office. I have to think about who may have driven 10 days in the last year. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy thing. I know. I'm not enthusiastic about it. But in any event, those are the banal day-to-day things of our life. I know it's the end of August, which means it's slow news time. It's and also not just a whole lot slow. of no decisions come out. Well, police officers well, are on deci- vacation. Decisions come out, but they're not interesting, groundbreaking, law-changing decisions. No, and police officers are on vacation. Yep. And All sorts of people are on vacation. It's the best time. Vacation. I mean, it's glorious right now in the lower mainland. Yeah, I mean, it's lovely weather. Um, it, you know, I think around like noon today, just got dead. And that's the Thursday before the September long weekend. Oh, yeah, the phone was ringing like crazy. In the morning. In the morning, yeah. And about 11 did. o'clock, it was just running like crazy. Like four yeah. to five, nothing. Not a call. Well, that's good. Hopefully we can catch up on some things. The um, I gave away the first of the t-shirts in the t-shirt giveaway. <laughs> so we trademarked, uh, I don't know, people thought I was crazy to do it, the phrase, lawyer told me not to talk to you. And uh, I was surprised that I got it. The article student who was working for me at the time thought there was no way I would get it. And, and uh, he left. I, I don't know. He wasn't, he wasn't optimistic enough to work at Acumen Law Corporation. I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, um, I wouldn't say that, but the, uh, he, he didn't think we would get it and we got it. And then ultimately the, uh, the lovely parchment from the federal government came this week and we had ordered t-shirts and, and bags with it on it. And it was all just for fun, like just something fun in the office. Um, and to give the t-shirts to our friends. And then when I got that parchment, I posted it on Twitter and then a bunch of people started responding and liking it. And so I thought, you know what, I'll give away some of these t-shirts because we've got I think 60 t-shirts. Yeah, you gave them all away. I ended up giving them all away in like an hour and a half. And then ordering In the first five more. minutes, there was 10 in five minutes. So the first recipient, Dave, came in today and uh, we gave it to him. He wanted to actually come down. I ended up going for lunch with him, but uh, we posted the photo of him on um, Instagram. Instagram for the office and I posted a photo on my Twitter account. So he's the first person who's publicly walking around there with a t-shirt that said, lawyer told me not to talk to you on it. Yeah, and I think there's I've lots worn of mine out. I wore mine on our office excursion to the Nat Bailey Stadium. I know, but it's different. You, you, you know, happen Work to be there. a lawyer there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you know, Dave's a smart enough guy that he's got all sorts of, uh, bits of wisdom that he passes on to people. And this is just one more bit of wisdom that people will, uh, will get from him. Mm-hmm. Okay. It looked good in it. Um, there was a discussion at the beginning. Should we get the shirts in AccuBlue? Um, no. which is very close to, uh, ancient Egyptian blue. Um, but not quite. It is AccuBlue. Uh, or should we get them in black? And we ultimately decided that, you know, everybody looks good in black. Black goes with everything. Yeah. Black slimming. Yeah. So, uh, we gave away, uh, they're going out in the mail tomorrow, I guess, but, um, about 65 shirts in the end. And we ordered another hundred to make up for it. So, um, slow news day. What are we talking about? We got some topics. Do we have some topics? We do have some topics. I saw this fascinating CBC article about a company 
trying to gain some ground with a new method of traffic enforcement in Edmonton. Oh. This is something that is currently being done in Australia. And you know, if it comes from Australia, it's no good. No, I know. They don't have a charter of rights there. You yeah. Know, and, they, uh, and they seem to have a lot more racism. As far as I'm concerned, anything that relates to driving law that has come out of Australia is awful. Well, we have like a full-on serious DUI bar in the United States and in Canada. And you never see anybody from the UK or Australia. And you don't even find any discussion on the interwebs about it. Nope. Nope. So I've tried to like find myself roll over. like DUI conferences anywhere but North America because I really want to... I know. Get out South of Dodge, African. You know, why DUI can't I write off a trip to... <laughs> to India. Yeah, but no, there's none. I mean, India might be the next place that has them because India's drunk driving um, investigation and defense industry and prosecution industry and all of those industries related to drunk driving, because drunk driving is an industry, as you always say, um, are growing at a significant rate. I see it in the Google alerts. Yeah, you'd think other common law countries. Yeah, but no. Anyway, no charter in Australia, so they can do this bullshit. So let what me they guess. Have. Let me guess. Something automated, because if they're adopting it in Edmonton, it's automated. Automated policing pops yes. out on the side of the road. Guilty, guilty. <laughs> Basically, it is some really sophisticated camera technology in traffic lights, similar to red light cameras or intersection speed cameras, and this will allow the police to capture images of people using their cell phones at intersections and then give them tickets on the basis of it. And it will weed out using like biometric data who's using the phone and who's not using the phone. Are we talking automated ones or automated like the police looking at the picture as it's coming biometrics back? Biometrics are going to determine whether you're, you're using your phone. Don't Holy ask shit. me how. So they're going to be spying on the inside of your car? Yes, right through your front frickin' windshield. Yeah, but how are they going to see behind your dash or whatever? The, if you go to the CBC article on this and look at the quality of images, you can see people, you can see clearly what's going on inside the vehicle. But are they taking them from like 45 degree angle across yeah. the lights yeah. or are they taking them down on the people? Down 45 degree angle from the light. So looking directly into the front oh, windshield. Oh, well, so they might see the first vehicle, but the second vehicle is no, going to be... No, they're only going to get the first vehicle in the line. But if you're proceeding through the intersection in motion with your phone in your oh, hand might or to you your ear, yeah. right? They'll get you then and they'll get anyone stopped at the light. Okay. I am often advocate and some people think I represent the devil from time to time, but devil's advocate, really. Uh, we have a chronic problem with people using their cell phones while driving. Mm -hmm. um, this is a method of gathering reliable evidence if you can see who the person is and you can see it's in their hand, for example, and they're driving through the light. What the hell is wrong with that? I mean, aside from the creepy Orwellian spying on people. Oh yeah, what the hell is wrong with being governed by cameras? Was it not you like a year ago on this very podcast, Paul Doroshenko, who said, I don't like the idea of being governed by a camera. Are you kidding? That was probably a month ago. That was you. Yeah, but, but that it was, was probably you. a month ago. No, I don't want to be a governed by a camera either. I can, the Australians can go ahead and live in a totalitarian police state where... So what uh, where happens the, when you where create a country out of and, criminals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> where, these were down on the Australians today. The... Um, as far as I'm concerned, if it comes out of Australia, it's not to be trusted. Oh, there's things that come out of Australia that are 
fully to be trusted, I'm sure. Um, I just haven't thought of one. Have you seen the spiders that come out of Australia? Uh, yeah, I know. And kangaroos can, kangaroos can be quite wild, apparently. Anyway, the, um, I've never been to Australia. I know they've got sharks, spiders, snakes, and aggressive kangaroos, and apparently a totalitarian police state of cameras monitoring everybody. But um, back to this. I mean, it's good, probably fairly reliable evidence. Um, if it's uh, giving it to the owner of the vehicle as a registered owner and it's not um, affecting their their driving record and it works as a deterrent, maybe? No. Look, in British Columbia, our legislation doesn't say you can't never touch your phone while driving. It says you can't do it provided it's not an emergency. Maybe you thought it was an emergency. You'd just be able to write back every time or yeah, like what, respond you're just each time get and say... people coming to court with no contrary evidence to say, oh yeah, I was making an emergency call. I was I dialing see, 911. I could see a couple way across the street there and look, they looked like they were fighting. So I was picking up the phone to dial 911 and then it, it didn't look like they were. So I set it down. Remember as well, there is case law. Jeez, that's a good argument. There is case law. In Don't the lie, people. Notice of intent context that has found that people... Um, the definition of emergency in the Motor Vehicle Act is broad. It's not constrained by any legislated interpretation in the definition section. And in one case, a person testified that they were dealing with an emergency related to a family member and taking a call from another family member. And the court was like, I don't know, could be an emergency. It was in a notice of intent case, but it was still, they were making this argument that it could have been an emergency and the court didn't discount that possibility. So you could say it was an emergency because whatever, you know, my daughter really wanted to buy this super cool beanie baby at the Hallmark store at the mall. What are they going to do with that information from all of those people who are driving by and all of those pictures they take? You know, it already bothers me the privacy aspect of license, automatic license plate scanning systems, which we knew the Victoria police abused their uh, authority to collect that information. Um, they were collecting it for a long time before the um, it became public knowledge and the privacy commissioner became involved. Um, and then uh, we've just heard that uh, Jeff Bezos owns a company that sells um, doorbell, cameras. doorbell cameras and now there's an agreement with 600 police forces in the United States or something to give them the video from the doorbell cameras. Just on request. Upon request and that when you buy that camera you've agreed to that. Um, and now we're talking about, um, the police taking pictures of you while you're in your car. Um, and I assume that, um, you know, you can give some programming to it to see whether or not there's a cell phone there, but it's going to capture lots of people who don't, and it's going to have to be scrutinized by somebody. Sure. Uh, you know, that's bullshit. Total this is, bullshit. This is really getting like Orwellian scary. Yeah. Like um, just because we have automation. Just because we have this, you know, well-developed, amazing technology that can do things doesn't mean we should use it. Look, All there of this are, stuff is just contrary to the, the being of a, a, a human. There are sex robots right now. Which they can kill course, you. I saw yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, of course there are sex robots. We, we, you know, we heard it from Marshall McLuhan first that, you know, technology was I think was we heard that to... from me first that there no. would be sex robots. No, Marshall McLuhan said it like before you were born, dude. The I was medium. born a long time ago. It's a message. Then well, the medium is the massage. 
and then technology is going to replace our sex lives. And now we see it, and now we see these sex robots with programming flaws that might kill you. Strangle you. Well, and that's the thing. Who's going to put those robots on trial? The point is, technology can be dangerous. We don't always need to use the best technology to enforce things, and I think that this cell phone thing is ridiculous. Well, I think if you're killed by a sex robot, it may be a great way to go. Um, and I think the cell phone spying on people is creepy. Uh, but I will be really interested to see whether or not it ends up getting hacked. Because that's well, yeah. my other concern. Then use the camera, hack the camera, read people's messages, steal people's personal information. You have no idea what's getting hacked. You know, the credit card hacking uh, the other day, uh, you know, millions mm -hmm. of people. Um, well, this leads me into our, our next topic which is a hack oh involving God. cameras a segue. and driving. A natural segue. You, yes, you led us to a natural segue instead of totally wrecking it for a change. Hmm. Um, no, the CBSA and the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol are in a little bit of hot water after a data breach involving the camera systems that they use. So, you know, when you drive up to the border... And you are sitting there, and there's all those cameras around you. It's a lot more oppressive on the U.S. side. But I think they're just, they hide it, so it's more polite on the Canadian side. No, there's more cameras when you're driving to the U.S. side. There's, okay. there's like, I don't at least, know. I mean, some of them may be fake cameras. How much information do they need? Your license plate from two, three different angles? I mean, but also, like, the side of your vehicle? Oh, yeah, there's definitely a dent in my, uh, in my driver's side door. I'm glad you got a picture of that. Mm -hmm. That's helpful information. Could you find the person who did it? Um, How many hard drives <laughs> do they fill with these photos? Well, and all of the information has been compromised. There was a, some type of data breach, and the information has... Well, there's no way that they downloaded all of the information. No, I mean, but the information's been compromised, and they can't they identify hmm. how much. So, you know, all of it has to be called compromised, um, which is a huge deal. Because if you think how many people cross the border every day, and you've got people on the U.S. side that are Canadians driving into Canada whose data has been compromised in the U.S., and Americans in Canada driving into the U.S., whose data has been compromised in Canada. Different laws that apply with your privacy rights in the U.S. versus your privacy rights in Canada and what government has to do to safeguard that information. It's, a, it's not just a driving law, privacy law mess. It's an international incident. Well, I am assuming that the Russian overlords have now information about me, and I will tell them now that I am happy to be helping with the whatever Russian spying they are being of required. Yeah, I mean, the the reality is, like, the, that I crossed the border is not exactly an open, you know, a difficult thing to find out. That's not the point. I mean, the point is that clearly... The Russians have all this information. Oh and yeah. It's so instead of it being an Orwellian thing where your own your own government is is monitoring your every move and uh, and you know going to come and torture you if you have a thought crime, um, you know it's likely some connected to some Russian organization that or North Korean that manages to acquire all this information and um, you know probably it's the same people who uh, who do those. Um, um, demands where they free, seize up everybody's information and uh, and demand millions of dollars in Bitcoin. 
Oh, yeah, like the emails I get like three times a week that they've somehow activated the webcam on my work computer and caught me in the act of masturbation. Yeah. I don't know how, since there's no webcam. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, this is a very good scam. <laughs> well, there's people in the office have, have contacted me and they're all worried. Really? Some have. Are they masturbating yeah. at work? No, they don't know what's the, you know, that it's their work, whatever. It right. just happens to be a scam. But, you know, these things do happen where people's computers and large organizations, hospitals and, mm -hmm. and civic governments, and, you know, you got to be terrified if you're running a university or something like that, uh, where you've got a bunch of information for other people that's almost life and death information. Like oh, a hospital. sure. Yeah, just don't um, click links. Don't send bitcoins. But it's not just that. I mean, you know, if they if they lock up your computers and steal all the information, wreck your servers, what are you going to do? I mean, I I think you probably your safest bet, sadly, is to uh, to rely on Jeff Bezos and Amazon servers and uh, and Google. Yeah, although apparently Yeek. Jeff Bezos can't be trusted. I know, that's He's my probably point. Probably selling everything on your server to the U.S. government. Well, look, the guy's like he's. You're, we're talking about a billionaire with his own space program. He's probably got a volcano that he's already converted into a, some sort of secret base. He's bald. I mean, is he's... this a Hank Scorpio reference? No, it's a, that's a, a, it was like diamonds are forever or something like that. No, no, like no. That. Hank Scorpio in the Simpsons had a volcano that he converted into a cave. Yeah. And that's from diamonds are forever. I don't watch James Bond. I watch the Simpsons. Yeah. Well, the, the, the Simpsons episode is actually pretty true to diamonds are forever okay except the 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 hammock district there sure. was no hammock district in in uh diamonds are forever okay well i just know that sometimes you like to include a simpsons reference for brandon well and i just did yeah, yeah. okay all right so that's that scorpio i don't have any smooth transition to the next topic paul have we done this topic already I think so. Okay. I mean, what more can we it's say? A, well, it's a driving law thing. It's a scary thing. It's a um, privacy breach. We have two frightening privacy things to talk about from mm -hmm. the beginning. Yeah. What's next? The next thing is an interesting provision of the criminal code that might make you think, oh, this is a nice procedural protection, but is actually complete bullshit. Which is? So the new mandatory ASD demand provisions that we're Proof screening device, roadside breath testing provisions yeah. that Kyla's challenging in probably four different courthouses in three different jurisdictions. Two. Yeah, whatever. Three. Three. I have a criminal file now in provincial court here with one. Can't believe they're letting me set that for trial. Fools. Fools. Yeah, I know. Do the 144, do you not realize it's going to be a 14-day trial mm. on the constitutionality of the... That's fine. That's fine. Got to do it. Yep, got to do what you got to do. Anyway, the um, the point uh, that I was making is in the criminal code, the provision says that an officer can make the mandatory demand, even if they don't have a reasonable suspicion, if they are lawfully stopping the vehicle and in possession or has have an ASD in their possession. So that brings up a very interesting issue because it, the... What is sort of implied there is that the police officers got it, like, probably in their pocket. Or in their car? In their car. And I think that is sort of how they would persuade the court that it is um, not particularly intrusive 
uh, minimally intrusive because they could present it right there. But it doesn't say anything in the code about that. No, it doesn't define <clears throat> for the purposes of this section possession yeah. means um, and then, you know, give some description of what like what possession means. But well, there's section... a lot of a lot of police officers have been telling me that their view of it is purely that they've got it in their hand. Yeah, well, um, let and me... they're applying it that way. But let... I've seen it's not applied that way. But that's what they're telling me when I talk to them in traffic court or wherever. But let me tell you, and shout out to uh, my friend Sharif Boda from Toronto, because uh, he and I had a great discussion about this earlier today. Um, the criminal code defines possession in section four sub three. Oh, for the purpose of committing an offense. Yes. It says for the purpose of this act. So the entire criminal code. Oh my God. A person has anything in possession when he has it in his personal possession. Okay. Or knowingly has it in the actual possession or custody of another person. So you just know that another officer has it and that's arguably good enough. We're talking like knowledge and control. Or has it in any place, whether or not that place belongs to or is occupied by him for the use or benefit of himself or of another person. So at the detachment, in the back of any police car. And uh, at, a, at a different detachment. Where one oh. of two or more persons with the knowledge and consent of the rest has anything in his or her custody or possession, it shall be deemed to be in the custody and possession of each and all of them. So if there's a detachment, say Stuart, BC, they've only got one ASD in town, assuming this, they don't, they have more, but assuming this for the sake of argument in Stuart, BC, they've got one ASD in town. It is technically pursuant to the definition of possession in the criminal code in possession of every member of the RCMP, not just in Stuart, but writ large in British Columbia. So there could be one ASD in all of British Columbia. And it could be in Stewart. 23-hour drive from Vancouver. And it could be in <laughs> Stewart. And the the Richmond RCMP can say, oh yeah, it's okay. I've got it, I've got it in my possession because it's in Stewart. And it's available for use of any RCMP member. Well, I mean, the point though is that back to the constitutional <laughs> challenge. That's um, not what the legislature, what Parliament intended, but it's what Parliament writes in the code. Oh, I know, which brings us back to the constitutional challenge. So, the whole point was the minimal impairment of your rights by it happening quickly. Um, if they can claim that possession is is basically that broad, because it's automatic, an art officer they can automatically. Claim it. Like if you're saying, if you're going through the section one, because we know section eight, nine, and 10B are breached without a reasonable suspicion. I mean, they might argue about that, but that's a losing battle. So then you get to the section one analysis. Well, the definition's in the say, code. They're going to say the minimal impairment. Oh yeah, he has to have it with him. So it's only going to apply if it's in their hand. And then you go, you stand not up. according to the code. Oh, yeah. Wow. They could have used a different word. Wow. Has yeah. it in his hand or on his person. On his person would have worked. Didn't say that. Said no. possession. And I don't think that was accidental. Because let's not forget that Bill C-46 and all of these changes to impaired driving law were, in my opinion, stupid, but very carefully thought out to achieve the maximum detriment 
to the defense of an accused person. Oh, absolutely. They're calculated. A evil, in yeah. my view. Well, I was going to say <laughs> like, evil, but I stopped myself. But I, yeah, it's calculated no, I mean, I, evil. So I'm telling you my opinion of it, and I can sit down and explain this why I think that. Like but I, pure I just, government mischief. I just, yeah, I, I, I looked at it, and you and I looked at it from the beginning, and just the first thing we thought was, they don't care about innocence. Um, all they want to do is convict people, innocent or guilty, and they don't care about the charter. They're just cynically writing this to get around well, it. And also their lawyers are going to come into court, and they're going to try and pull the wool over a judge's eyes and say, no, 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 judge, don't worry, because he has to have it with him. And look, there's this charter statement that says he has to have, him with, have it with him. And don't read the words of the legislation in accordance with the definition that's imposed upon them in the Act, which is clear parliamentary intention, like the first step of statutory interpretation is the word defined in the Act. If it is, there you go, you know what they meant. They didn't mean anything else. Legislation has to be clear. They're going to try and pull the wool over a judge's eyes, and then later on, when they get to a case, probably a case involving high stakes, fatality, serious bodily harm, they're going to have a mandatory demand, the officer's going to wait for someone to bring an ASD, and then they're going to say, oh no, but your honor, it's okay, because it was in his possession, because look at section four of the code, and this is constitutionally valid. Well, that's the problem. I look at all of those sections, and I look at so much of the change that came in with that legislation. And I see lots of things that are creepy like that in it. And not all of them are going to be challenged. This is ripe to be struck down, as we both said. And maybe it'll be struck down in that case where somebody was killed and the police officer didn't use a reasonable suspicion demand because he decided he could use a mandatory demand. Um, but we will see a lot of this legislation that despite the creepy nature of it, will never be challenged, which is disturbing to me that they will get through a bunch of it. They'll survive a lot of this legislation. Pool yeah. noodle. Yeah, well, not only will they survive a lot of this legislation, but the damage that they will cause between, I mean, we're already seeing it now, between now and when it ultimately is all determined by the Supreme Court of Canada. Because remember, all these little battles that are being fought at provincial court levels across, across the country, the country now. right across now. Across the country now. You know, yeah. I'm working with a, a very good lawyer in Yukon on one. There's one that's happening in Ontario we know that I'm not involved with. Alberta. I yeah. filed one along with the lawyers at um, Jen Taran and Jerry Steele um, that we did the constitutional challenge with. Tim, um, Tim Foster's probably got three by now. They're probably dropping Caitlin all of Caitlin's probably got Caitlin, two or three. Oh yeah, Caitlin, who's been on this podcast. Anyway, they're they're dropping up everywhere, but they start at provincial court, and because nine times out of ten people aren't being charged by indictment, the appeal is to superior court, and then to the court of appeal, and then leave application, then leave granted, obviously, and to the Supreme Court of Canada, and you're what ten years on. We saw this with with the original changes, getting rid of evidence to the contrary. In the meantime, how many people are pleading guilty? How many people are being found guilty? How many people are going to be found guilty because there are inconsistent judgments and they're going to be followed by, you know, in the wrong direction? How many people are going to be misadvised by lawyers who read the wrong judgment or read the wrong news story about a judgment and told to plead guilty? How many of these people are going to suffer the consequences 
of this legislation because the government is trying to do an end run around every charter value. People will plead guilty. Yep. People plead guilty to these offenses all the time. And you can't take it back, right. right? If you're found guilty and the law is found unconstitutional, it goes all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada and the Supreme Court of Canada says it's unconstitutional, you could probably, you know, we see it at the Court of Appeal all the time, even now still with the summer's time served cre credit um, cases. You could extend your time to appeal your conviction and you could get your conviction overturned. You have a way out, but if you plead guilty... Yeah. Well, they might rely on the remedy decision and and uh, Sylvia Goodwin and uh, it. say that it's nobody criminal. gets a remedy. It's criminal. It's different. I know, but the government might be thinking they can do that. Anyway, they try it. It's it's scary, and innocent people are going to suffer because it's innocent people who are the subject of mandatory demands who are going to refuse them. Who are well, that's been one court. of the fascinating things about the mandatory demand is that you've got people who, like we see it in IRPs, will fail, one. they haven't had anything to drink, and they haven't had anything to drink. And you never know whether or not it's another ASD that's just malfunctioning, like those Abbotsford, that Abbotsford police officer who blew a fail. Yep. Uh, but it's corroborative. If they have an odor of liquor, you've got people will blow a fail, and the police officer still doesn't detect an odor of liquor, and the person says, I haven't had a drink in four days. And you don't know why it's got a fail and they've still got no order of liquor and no symptoms. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, the IRP scheme was sort of predicated on at least having an odor or an admission and the fail. Mm -hmm. And now we're in this situation where there's no, no evidence at all of consumption, nothing to, to support the belief that they had anything to drink. And then you get a person who's had nothing to drink and blows a fail. And you're thinking to yourself, how can the IRP scheme still withstand this when, you know, this was one of the key pieces of evidence that was leading to the thing being triggered and corroborated the possibility of a fail. Yep. And it's even worse, of course, we see with seniors now and um, alleged refusal situations where these people haven't had a drink, there's no order of liquor, there's no symptoms, there's nothing, uh, and maybe they have a breathing problem or something and are asked to blow and... You know, the police officer's going, I wouldn't have asked you to blow, except I'm required to do this mandatory demand because I'm supposed to be doing mandatory demands tonight. Uh, and they end up with a refusal situation. We're already seeing innocent people suffering in the IRP context. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Well, we got pretty passionate there. Yeah. So that's just yet another, day, but... yet another C46 wrinkle that is going to make things crappy for a lot of people. And think about it. We've been dealing with this piece of legislation for like 18 months since we first looked at it and we're still thinking it through and this is what we do and we do it all day long. So a lot of these things won't be resolved for years and years to come. Speaking of us still thinking it through, there is a very excellent argument coming that I can't wait to talk about on this podcast, but I'm not going to spoil right now. Do I know about it? Yes. Okay. I'll tell you, it's the blank test argument. Oh, yeah. Let's not talk about that. No. We'll talk about it after it happens, because it's going to be a lot of fun. But it's come to that time again, Paul. What? That time for... <gasps> the Ridiculous Driver of the Week. The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. And this one's a doozy. Um, so this man 
is in uh, Mission Viejo, which I think is in, like, um, California near San Francisco. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, sheriff's deputies responded to a report of a suspicious man who was next to a parked SUV. And they found him there. And all he was doing, Paul, was just the innocent act of attempting to fix a flat tire. Fair enough. The problem was... He was trying to patch his damaged tires, and we're talking serious damage, like a huge, like, one-inch hole in the wall of the tire. Yeah. Uh, with his first aid kit it was from a, his car. <laughs> in the wall of the tire with a first aid kit. So he filled yeah. his tire with gauze. You and can't fill a tire with gauze, but he, he shoved he tried gauze to, in shoved, the hole. Put it in the hole. Good. Yeah. And uh, And then he's trying to cover it with Band-Aids. Good. Uh, Smart to guy. To the tire. Yeah. yeah. So, um, naturally... Was he arrested, or was he... What, what? Oh, yeah, he was arrested and charged. Do you want to know drunk? what? Uh, yeah, impaired by drugs. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, because you have to be on some pretty hefty drugs to think you can fix a tire with a Band-Aid. Yeah, the, uh, well, you can't fix the sidewall of a tire at any point. No. You can, you can plug the tread with a plug if you've got one, but it's still a, not a proper repair, but... No, this is like... Uh, like, if it's like a, a puncture from a nail or something, then you can repair it. Like the C on Michelin size yeah. hole. Good. Yeah. So. Excellent. So, well, that's a ridiculous driver. There's no doubt about that. But that brings me to a, another topic. Okay. Something that we don't see anymore. And that's? Roadside repairs. I Since I moved to British Columbia, and I've been here for more than 20 years, and even in my last decade that I lived in Alberta, I never see people trying to fix their cars quite so much on the roadside. I was going to say, and, what's a roadside repair? Well, you know, back in the day, you know, I changed brake pads in my Honda Civic in the parking lot of Canadian Tire. You'd see people changing air cleaners and all sorts of different things on their car, changing their light bulbs in the parking lot of Canadian Tire. And I've seen people at the roadside, you know, back in the day was regular trying to get repair vehicles on the roadside. And I almost never see that anymore. I saw it the other day driving back from Valmont. Uh, there was somebody trying to boost a car and there's no reason it would need to be boosted on the roadside. You know, maybe the alternator's gone or something, but mm-hmm. uh, it's just something that has become remote. But it used to be a common part of the Canadian experience was, especially if you were under the age of 30 and you were driving an older car, trying to fix it somewhere where you weren't supposed to be fixing it. Um, But isn't that because everybody has like roadside assistance now? Well, I think there's lots of changes, you know, social changes that have have created that. Uh, I don't think people try to repair their own cars. I don't think people used to know all about how to repair their car. They're more complicated to repair now. Well, when I moved to Vancouver, I found that nobody knew anything about their car. They also, you know, it seemed like nobody knew anything about anything in their house. Uh, how to repair anything compared to, you know, growing up in Alberta and welding and carpentry and electrical and plumbing were things that... I feel like this is a dig at me a little bit. No, it's not. Because I don't know how to repair anything in my house. No, I know, but that's like, that is the de-skilling of the population. And and maybe we're becoming, you know, better at those certain things. Think how good you are at your job. Um, And, you know, you're very proficient at a level that, you know, a generalist never would be. but it's uh, it's a it's a social change. There's a definitely a social change, at least that I experienced moving to BC. And even now, when I go back to Alberta, I find that people are not as knowledgeable about those things as they were 
uh, 30 years ago. So, but uh, here this person demonstrates that lack of knowledge. He's trying to fucking repair a tire with a Band-Aid. Did he demonstrate that lack of knowledge or was he just on a lot of drugs? Well, I will defend him. I'm sure you will, but you know... Uh, we I know just... lots of nice lawyers in California who can defend him too. So yeah. I, I just think that, you know, maybe people are stupider than they used to be. Perhaps they are. I don't know. Uh, he is 26. So that's, millennials. That's a, a, appears to be a stupid age zone <laughs> these days. Put a Band-Aid on it. Um, Children are obsessed with Band-Aids. My kids go through Band-Aids like crazy, and I think I did too probably when I was a kid. I yeah, know. I loved a Band-Aid when I was a kid. Now if I cut myself, I do not use a Band-Aid under any circumstances. you don't want that sticky the glue on you after. sticky thing, and it gets all sweaty, and then it slides around. You replace it, and then you pull it off before the shower. Yeah, I know. No, I don't want a Band-Aid. You, you, you... Cut me, I bleed. I'll just bleed on everything. I don't care. I was lecturing my daughter about this. I was telling her about how obsessed children are with Band-Aids. And then she brought up this infection I had on my leg and that I had this big Band-Aid on it. You had this huge Band-Aid and you changed it every day. Yeah, okay. Okay, Sure enough. Sight precedent. Yes. (laughs) Thanks a lot. I did have bandages after I had surgery. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Slightly different. When your face was all gashed open, you had a big Band-Aid on it. I'm like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I did. Sight precedent. Well, that's what yeah. happens when you have a lawyer for a father. Yeah, no, it's, it's purely her own thing. Right. But I think it's just a natural, a natural uh, tendency of humans. Well. Because we don't like unfairness. We don't like hypocrisy as a species. I think we are opposed to it. And, and we don't like what comes here from Australia. Yeah. Especially if it's hypocrisy. And policing. And surveillance. <laughs> surveillance. No, actually, it's, I'm, I, I, uh, a different Dave gave me uh, like a Banksia seed thing that had been cut up into uh, uh, coasters. I think that's what the plant's called. And... Uh, it was fascinating and it smelled great. And that was one thing from Australia that I liked. I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. Well, there you go. And that brings us to the end of another exciting episode. New of- Zealand, of course, is something totally different. I love you, New Zealanders. Did you just interrupt my outro? Yeah, just because yeah, I wanted I to make it clear. Yeah, okay. Well, that's the end of the podcast. No more commentary from Paul Doroshenko. Bye-bye. For the week. <laughs> Tune in next week if you want to hear more interrupt the unrelated commentary from Paul Doroshenko. Probably be a better news week. I may not uh, be here. Maybe you might have a guest. I might. I might if I have time to line someone up. This is always the issue. Time. Reach out to me. If you want to be a guest on the Driving Law Podcast, we would love to have you. We'd love to talk about anything related to driving and the law. Um, and if you want to get in touch, you can find us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com or give us a call 604-685-8889 and tune in next week for another episode.